Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up, Rick? Not much. How are you, Tyler? I'm pretty good. I had a, uh, like, not a necessarily busy week for myself, but a, a big event happened, which was that the price increase went into effect. So, so go on. Well, you know, you want something to happen right away, but the reality is it doesn't. Um, because if it impacted all of our old customers, then we'd get a lot of activity. First of all, we'd be making more money right away. And second of all, we'd probably get a lot of complaints. Um, because we locked all our old customers into the original $10 price, and it's just new customers that are getting the $15 price. You know, someone comes to the website, they've never heard of us before. They see the price is $15, they sign up, like they don't really mention anything. This also happened with our redesign we did earlier this year, which was a much bigger deal than the price increase. Like the product's totally different now. And there was the process of transitioning our current customers over, over to it where we got a lot of feedback. But the day we flipped the switch where new customers started getting the new design, which happened before we flipped over old customers crickets because no one knew any better no one knew that anything so uh today's thursday yesterday the price increase went into effect nothing happened (laughs) did you see any difference on the daily conversion rates it's hard to say the thing is this is probably like bad for my emotional stability but otherwise good we had two of our best days ever right before that um i think just sheer coincidence like maybe a few people knew the price increase was coming and we're trying to get in before that but I think mostly just coincidentally, we had two really good days and then it kind of came back down to earth. So it's not like it's been bad, but it was bad relative to what it was right before the price increase. Yeah. You totally had some urgency being built in there. Yeah. So time will tell. Uh, Yesterday was still pretty good. Today's like a little worse than normal, but you know, it's one day. What are you going to, I don't want to draw any conclusions from that. Yeah. You just need to not look at it for 30 days. Right. I'm waiting for the first $15 user to pay because like people have 30 days, but it's not uncommon for someone to sign up for a free trial and be like, I want to get rid of the annoying banner at the top that says I'm on my free trial and they just pay right away. No one's done that yet, but when they do, it'll be a little celebration like, hey, we we actually charged someone $15 successfully. Yeah. You got to word it differently. Like we just made 150% of what we used to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For the same amount of work. Our average revenue per user is now $10.01 or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, I'm just kind of sitting here like waiting. Nothing's going to happen at any specific time to make this all that exciting. But anytime there's a big release or change or anything, I think human emotions are like, I want something to happen here. That's great. Yeah. I guess I'll just keep giving updates, but we, yeah, like you said, we won't really know much for 30 plus days. Yeah. I think this is definitely a regular update. You're going to have a learning by next week that I'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. Do you, but, you oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say as separate from the price increase, we also have just had like our best week in a long time. And we are now our free trial pipeline is above the highest it was before the, um, the pandemic and, and pretty close to as high as it's ever been in the history of the company. Uh, which is just wild. That's so cool. Do, do you, um, gosh, uh, do you think that 
have you had like a postmortem yet or are you kind of holding that off where you, have you identified anything that maybe you would do differently than what you did yet? In terms of putting the price increase into effect? Other than move, I know one was move faster in doing this, but Mm -hmm. anything outside of that? I think that's about it. Um, We originally, we were going to give three months notice and then we decided to just give one month. I think that was probably about right in terms of giving customers time to react and stuff like that. There may be some lessons to learn. So what we're doing is for the first month, anyone who asks us for $10 will get it. So like if they were eyeing us before and they just didn't sign up in time, I don't see any, it's going to be such a small percentage of people. I don't see any reason to like get in a fight with them about it. So we're just going to give it to them. That's one thing that I'm not like, how long does that last? I don't know. Um, so we'll see. But no, overall, I think it's been good. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback. We haven't really heard any complaints. The only emails we've heard at all from people are customers that were worried they weren't getting the price, that they weren't getting locked in, which is super easy to solve. We're just like, no, you are getting locked in. And they're like, oh, okay. Have you have you adjusted messaging to make that clear? I honestly don't think it's a messaging problem. I think just some people will not read. Like, for example, that we, we sent a newsletter out on Tuesday that was like, all accounts that sign up after July 22nd will be $15. And someone's like, I signed up July 19th. You're raising my prices? And we're like, no. <laughs> it, it was in big, bold letters. All accounts that sign up after July 22nd. And they're like, oh, okay, that's fine then. So... You know, sometimes I, I think it's worth examining this, but also sometimes I think you just have to say not everyone's going to get the message and that's okay. Yeah. Well, this people need different words to hear the same core message. And oftentimes you don't have, you can't do that in a written format. Yeah. You know, if you only send two or three emails out, you don't get to give 20 different variations of the same thing. But anyway, that's it for me. Can you hear my dog like whining over there, by the way? <laughs> Not really, but now that okay, you mentioned it, good. I was like, yeah, I actually did just hear that. Okay. Well, why don't you start talking and I'm going to tell him to be quiet. What's yeah. going on with are you? you? Are you gonna, what are you going to do? Spank him? How are you going to tell him to be quiet? Well, this is a trick. He's a stray. They found him as a stray, but we know one command he knows, which is this. Jolo, lay down. He just shut up. That was oh, That's real quiet. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, well, um, I guess uh, the one update I had that I really wanted to start with is I made pretty an, a pretty nerve like uncomfortable decision last week to publish uh, some slide slides to the world about leg up health and more tra- like it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to share as much information as I shared in that because it basically was here's why we're doing what we're doing here's our business plan here's how we're going to do it and you know and you also it's early so you don't it's not perfect so you don't know how people are going to react you got you know, and so anyway, I published it um, last Monday or Tuesday, and you know, I've gone through several iterations since then. But I've had, I, I shared it on Twitter, I shared it on LinkedIn, I shared it on a couple of communities I'm a part of, and I I don't know how many people have looked at. It. I have no idea. Um, but you, if you if you looked at the slides right now, there's people who are looking at it. Um, so there's always someone anonymously viewing it. And I've gotten a lot of interesting, I've had a lot of interesting conversations about it. Um, I was very nervous when I posted it of like, oh, this is very uncomfortable, but I'm so glad I did it. It's, it's one of those things that we're just by putting it out there, um, it's led to conversations that have led to opportunities for, for leg up health. It's led to um, some 
you know, just relationships of people who are like, Hey, I'm a fan of what you're doing. I'm, I'm not a buyer. I'm not a, I'm not like, I'm nothing more than like, I like what you're doing. Keep me up mm-hmm. to date. Um, and it's also led to some really constructive criticism from people, primarily startup founders who have been where I am saying, you know what? I wish I had the guts to do what you just did. And I did in private do what you did and people that helped me were so valuable. So here's a, here's some, here's a, you know, a page of feedback on your, on your deck. And, uh, so I've, you know, I've got enough information now, I feel like to translate that deck into some website pages. I was hoping to come in here and say, go check out the new leguphealth.com website, but that's going to be, have to be next week. Um, but, uh, I feel very confident in the story that I'm telling, uh, or I'm going to tell. Um, and, uh, anyway, if you're ever feeling a little, I'm a big fan of transparency. Um, I started my career and, you know, very, being very private with things, um, things like, uh, you know, how much, how the financial situation of the company, things like how, like the secret, I wouldn't call it secret sauce, but the, the way we do business, like some of the like strategies and stuff. And uh, I've gotten less, more and more loose with that stuff and and seeing actually being transparent about it as an advantage more so than it outweighs the negative potential, like copycat risk, mm-hmm. because you get more help than you get people trying to hurt you. Um, so anyway, I am, I'm really happy I did it and I encourage others to do it. If you're on the fence of whether or not you want to put your me- message out there before it, it might be perfect to just go ahead and do it. And I think you'll be surprised at the response you get. Yeah, that's awesome. So I've got a few questions. What have you done? What did you do to get people to see it? Cause I feel like if someone like you've got a network and stuff already, but a lot of people might say, okay, I, I made a public Google doc. How do I get anyone to actually look at it? You ask them to, I mean, I, I know it's kind of crazy, but like you go to places that, uh, to people who, um, who, who might, well, I, I would say there's, there's two types of people that you can ask to look at it. I think there's people who are other startup founders who are simply going to help you because of the, of the pay it forward mentality. Anyone who's been a, a founder of a company knows that the early days are lonely and hard. And it's the, it's the, it's the people who take the time free of charge to have conversations with you and just let you talk and, and ask questions, clarifying questions that add so much value early on. And if any, anyone who's experienced that is going to pay it forward, if you ask them, I, if they have the, unless they're like, have no time at all. So like just by targeting startup founders and saying, Hey, I'm a founder too. Um, can you, you know, review this and give me feedback on whether I'm missing the mark on the, on the narrative. And you're talking one-on-one here. Like, I think what a lot of people do is post on Twitter, but you're saying get a list of 20 people and individual outreach to each of them and ask for help. Yeah. I think you ha- if, if you, I mean, my default was Twitter, LinkedIn, a couple LinkedIn groups, um, a couple of Slack channels. And, you know, that was enough for me. I did, and then, you know, I'm starting to include it in my reach out in addition to that, um, to those like general groups. Like anytime I meet someone new, I'm going, hey, can you also provide feedback on this slide, on these slides? So I'm starting to include it, just share it wherever I am. And that for me is working in terms of getting eyeballs on it. But if I didn't have, those avenues, um, I guess I would, I would just say, go create those avenues and then share it versus. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. I, I can only speak for myself. Like, when do I respond to these things? If I'm a Slack group I'm in, someone's like, hey, can anyone give me feedback on this? I almost always ignore it. But if someone messages me and is like, hey, Tyler, I know who you are. I would like your advice. I almost always will give them what they need. Yeah, I would say that's that I would, I've done that too. So yeah, I, but I look at that as sort of like, hey, get it out there and then start sending people to it. Um, yeah, sure. And sort of, and, and, uh, until you do that, until you feel like you've gotten, you're hearing the same things over and over again. And I, and I crossed that point in the last day, uh, of where like, okay, everyone I'm talking to is telling me the exact same things. I do not need to hear another person say that. I'm still going to send it out. Okay, you know, continually, but I have, I've gotten to the point of confidence where it's like, okay, I can predict what they're going to say, um, and what, and why they're saying it. And, mm-hmm. um, so, so now I'm not as concerned about getting it out there as much. So what are like one or two of the biggest things that you learned from this process? Like what's an example of the type of insight you can get from doing this? Um, that I am working on something that actually does have mass appeal. So, um, one of the things I was worried about at Zane benefits was, uh, you know, this is a niche business that when I try to explain it to someone, they just kind of like roll their eyes. Um, and it's like not exciting and it's not something they really care about. The leg up health story is very different. I think it's because it's consumer, pro- a consumer service versus a, a business to business service, but I'm getting messages of people who are like, I totally agree. Like, yes. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I don't, I, that, and people who, who, you know, they could be, they read it and they go, yes. And they just feel a part of the move, I, kind of a movement. That's, and mm-hmm. I, so I see a big opportunity to create, you know, a, a, t- a group. Lie down, Jolo. <laughs> uh, oh, I can, I can probably. Sorry, I have a <laughs> off switch on my mic, but you can still hear me. So, <laughs> yeah, because it's probably, I'm probably coming through a different mic on the yeah. Google Meet. Yeah. I just, I just yelled at my dog for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll make sure he's not here next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember what I was saying, but basically, like, I see an opportunity. There's a movement opportunity here that has mass appeal that is really exciting from a word of mouth standpoint. Yeah. Um. So I definitely, need, I think it is worth me investing in a macro story about where the world's going and hammering that as part of the brand story. Um. The other big thing is the the order in which I was explaining the 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 the, the, the story. What. Sorry, I'm just I'm just laughing at the dog thing. I forgot that you could hear me, so I thought that you would not. Anyway, I'm just off my game right now. <laughs> well, I'm off my game too because I'm like I I've had more more uh I've been full-time on leg up health pretty much since post July 4th. Yeah. And I'm now because of all the activity I've been doing, I'm now like getting crushed with commitments. Um which is good. It's a totally different, but I haven't felt stressed like this since like probably in 20 months, um, since I left my last job. So, but it's a, it's a good feeling, but it makes me so much looser and like more intense. Like I don't have a, as much of a filter. Yeah. I mean, that's the mode I know you in. I know you as like intense Rick and it'll be interesting to see, do you run a calm business or do you like go back to your old ways or do you find some happy medium in between? I hope it's a happy medium. Yeah. I think there's, there's pros and cons they say, but yeah. That, and then just how to tell that, sto- that movement story of like, start, I was starting in a place that made sense to me, but a lot of the feedbacks around start with, you know, start with why we're in this, start with the problem. And I'm like, that's so boring though. You know, I want to start with the future. And, and so yeah, ordering yeah. the other, you know, people, um, 
people are having a hard time. A lot of people were having, are having trouble with understanding a point I was making and a, that I'm just going to remove. So I, I guess the, the broad thing is like over explaining. Uh, there were a couple of areas where it was like that totally distracted people con- continually. And if I just removed it, they would have gotten it. Yeah. Cool. So what do you do with this now? Like you take this slide deck and turn it into a like elevator pitch or, you know, like a, like obviously yeah. it takes a while to go through the slide deck. You're not going to send that to every potential customer. Oh, the sli- this slide deck's going away. It's going to be replaced by um, a, by web pages. And those web pages are going to be sent to people instead. Cool. Well, awesome. That's uh, congrats on doing that, getting that out there, working in public. Like, like there's transparency, which I think is if someone asks you a question, you'll answer it honestly. But then there's like working in public where you almost use the transparency as a marketing tool or like as a way to connect with people. Um, and it's cool seeing that happen because I, I think it's it's really a win-win when other people can learn from what you're doing and you can build an audience that way. That's great. One one thing, one kind of interesting opportunity just to kind of share an example that I never would have thought of that came from sharing the deck was um, there's a company, uh, a new company in the, uh, I want to say very broad here, a new company entering the HRA space. And they reached out and said, listen, like we're going to run into the same problem that you ran into at PeopleKeep. Um, would you be interested in working with us to solve that problem? You know, mm-hmm. and, and so there was kind of like, oh, I, you know, would leg up health as an opportunity to be the solution that wasn't there for people keep for this, for this entity. Yeah. I, I would guess that's, so you said the reason people might be connecting with this is because it's consumer rather than B2B. And I agree with that, but I also think part of it is what Zane benefits did. And for people who don't know it, selling an HRA, which health reimbursement arrangement, which is like basically letting companies buy health insurance for their employees tax-free. It had nothing to do with getting insurance for the employees though. And so the real pitch is don't pay taxes on your insurance, which is just so much less interesting than have insurance instead of not having insurance. So I could yeah. see you filling a really important need there. Yep. One thing that I haven't solved yet is there are a lot of people who gave me a lot of feedback who were actually my ideal client, but didn't like put that together, mm. um, which I can't, I haven't quite put my finger on it. Maybe it's just them not wanting to be sold or maybe kind of but anyway, like there were a couple of people who gave me a lot of feedback and I was like, tell me about your situation. And I was like, like, well, do you want to sign up for it? He's like, I can. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, you'd be a great, <laughs> you'd be a great like early client for us. Huh? Interesting. So I, that says something, but it's not something that they're going to tell me exactly. Yeah. But they did not get it. Well, there's always a uh, room for improvement then I guess. Yep. Uh, well, what else, any other updates for you? Yeah. I've got a couple other things. Um, we kind of have this ongoing saga over how to work remotely effectively. I don't have anything groundbreaking here, but we're going to just, we're tweaking things. And I'm just going to explain this only because I think this is like the type of thing that makes a company work, but it's too boring to like become a blog post anyone bothers to read. And that is like, we're just, we, we've been having discussions about how to tweak, like when do people communicate with each other at the company so that they're getting enough interpersonal interactions and they know what other people are working on, basically replacing what in office is just like a water cooler conversation. How do we get that replicated online? Um, so a couple of tweaks we've been making previously, we use this thing called GeekBot, which is a Slack bot that will, it basically runs a standup meeting. So more or less, it just every morning or once a week, however often you want, it'll message whoever on the team you want, ask them questions, and then aggregate all those and post them in a channel so everyone can see it. 
So like if you're used to a dev team standup, have you ever done standups like at, at your companies? Oh yeah. Yeah. It basically does that, but like asynchronously and over Slack. We've been tweaking that a little bit where basically people were saying this is really great, but there's too much. Like there was one weekly one that went to the whole company and there's a daily one that goes to the dev team. And then there's a daily one that goes to whichever dev is on bug fix duty. So we consolidated that to say the whole company is going to get one every Monday. It used to be Thursday. And it says, what did you do last week? What are you going to do this week? And so every Monday, everyone's just going to, it's a way to hold yourself accountable, but also a way to see what everyone else is working on. We used to give these updates in the weekly meeting. Every week we have a, a meeting and people would say what they're working on. We stopped giving these updates when the intern started the summer because it took up too much time. And like, we switched instead to the Rose and Thorn, which I think we talked about. People much prefer Rose and Thorn, where you say a good thing and a bad thing about the week. So some people were like, I really want that back in the weekly meeting. I want the pro- project updates. But a lot of people are like, I'm fine with just having the Slack updates. So we're switching to an opt-in model where uh, you can. there's a, like, a place to put if you have project updates. Here's like, give, give your project updates. But we're not going to go through and ask every single person what they worked on this week. Um, anyway, this is probably incredibly boring, but these are just the little decisions I've been making over the last week. And then the final thing is, well, two final things. Have you heard of Sococo? Sococo? I have S-O- not. S-O-C-O-C-O. It's this incredibly gimmicky looking tool that we haven't started testing yet, but we're going to. And it basically like creates a virtual office. Like it, it actually looks like a, the overhead floor plan of an office. And that's how you get into video calls. So rather than just saying like, I'm going to call, I'm going to talk with these three people, like send them a Google meet link. You say, let's meet in office, like conference room B and you all like walk your little avatar over there. So oh kinda... my gosh. This is awesome. This is like a <laughs> virtual reality, like office. Yeah. It's this so cheesy. <laughs> it's so, no, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. So yeah. Oh. I haven't tested it yet, so I can't I say go to the that water it works. Cooler. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and one of the problems we have, so like we have a place, we have an open office Google Meet that anyone can be in at any time, but you can't tell if anyone else is in there. So there's like no serendipity. So the the goal here is if we use this, and again, we haven't yet, but you can just look and be like, oh, someone's eating lunch. I'm going to go join them. Or someone's in the open office. I'm going to go join this them. This is so brilliant. Yeah. It's been around for years, by the way. This is not really? a new product. Yeah. I remember looking at it years ago and being like, that's neat, but it's too expensive. At the time, it was too expensive for us. And this is a great, like, if you're into, if you're looking for a business idea and you can do no code, this is the like perfect no code concept. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, they don't even host the video chats. They're no, just of like, course not. we'll send you to the Zoom call or the Google Meet call. So it's really just this interface for getting into the video calls. It's a virtual, it's a simple virtual reality, like bird's eye view. Uh, theme park but with, with an office it's like being a it's like building your own theme park but you're building your own office and these are real people moving around in this with like caricatures yep so we'll see i'm i'm optimistic i guess but the point is we're just we're looking for ways to get more human human interaction since it's looking like we're going to be remote for a long long time without going overboard you know one reaction to this is like you have to be in a like you know multiple hours of video chats every day, which some people would enjoy and some people would really hate. So I think this is great, and it's just uh, I think it's awesome. You should definitely try. You're going to try this. I want to hear about this one. Yeah, I'm going to probably within the next week I'll start a trial. So I'll give some updates on how that can, goes. Can I can I lease some space 
virtual space from you so I can be part of the office too. Yeah, we'll turn it into a co-working space. That'd be great. Yeah. Something I don't know yet is like, can you design your own office or are they just like, here's here's an office? I'm not sure. So I'll, I'll report back once I know that more That would be kind it. of interesting to do is like you, you buy SoCoco and you say, listen, I want an office, I want an office building. And then you upcharge uh, people uh, to be a part of your work, your virtual workspace. And mar- and like your margin is the difference between SoCoco's price and what you charge your coworkers. It's an interesting idea for, you know, everyone wants to start a community these days. And like the lazy community is here's a Slack group, join it. Mm-hmm. And my experience is those normally are pretty low, vol- low value and they, they just don't last in most cases. So the ones that work are where they're doing something proprietary or extra on top of it. And yeah, I mean, it'd have to be a premium service because this thing costs like $15 a month per user, I think. Yep. But yeah, I mean, that would that would take it to the next level of making it feel like real human connection, I think. Yeah. I mean, especially with all the other extra stuff going on in this space, uh, I, it's getting very, it's getting immersive. It can be so much more immersive than what we've made it so far. Yeah. Um, like I can imagine going into the breakout room and playing, you know, ping pong, like s- sitting online to play ping pong virtually, like, like totally like watching a video together, watching a, a show together, playing a board game online. There's just, uh, there's so many, th- this is really interesting. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. I just played code names online. Have you played that before? Code names? What's co- I've never played code names. What's, oh yeah. Like I love code names. We love yeah, code it's names. Kind I, of like I, a card I tend game. to, I tend to um, scare people when we play code names. Scare people? How so? Um, I I kind of lose my patience. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's an intense game if you let it. But I just played online for the first time this week and it went really well. But but to your point, yeah, it'd be really neat to be like company events. You know, during your lunch hour, go go. We've got code names going in the the break room in Sokoko or whatever. That's cool. Yeah, I hate the name. Yeah, it's hard to say, <laughs> and I don't know what it means, but. It's probably like social community, you know, it probably stands for something. I don't know. All right, back to you. What's what's uh, what's next up on your list? Well, I'm just I'm wishing that I had come up with this idea. I think it's brilliant. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's a this would be a really fun thing to work on. I agree. And, and like to your point, with everyone going remote uh, right now. So Coco has been around for a long time. I bet two, three years from now, there's like so much new stuff that that takes over the field. Totally. Well, um, what's going on with me? Let's see. Uh, well, I, I kind I didn't I didn't share this yesterday, but we did talk about the root problem. But I do I do want to say like I launched self onboarding uh, a couple weeks ago. I think I updated on that, and I've had several people go through the process. Um, the people that have their own health insurance and have had a one call conversation with me um, and want to make me the agent, it works perfectly. So it usually takes them anywhere from three days to two weeks to sort of get through the whole process. Uh, it's not clearly not a priority, um, which I'm not sure how to feel about, but they get through it. Um, and then I have a lot of people who I don't know who they are. They're creating accounts and they're they're failing um, right before they're not putting in their insurance information. And then they're not replying to any follow-up emails, but the people who have gone through the whole process and then ha- trust me enough to go through it, th- their feedback is, listen, I trust you, but I paused when you're asking for my birth date. I paused when you asked me for my mobile phone. I, I paused when you asked me for my insurance card information. So, um, you know, I, there's a, not, there's a need 
that that's going to be a challenge. Um, it comes back to the trust conversation we were having last week where I need to, you know, create trust before they go click, get started. And then throughout that, you know, that onboarding process, re sort of, you know, re message why you should trust us and, and what we're going to do with this information and what we won't do. It's very bare bones right now, but, uh, um, I haven't figured out how to do that quite yet, but it's a clear that I'm going to need to um, really focus on trust uh, on throughout the website. So they're giving you the feedback. It's about trust. I wonder if what they're not saying is like, it's kind of the trust to value perceived value ratio, right? I would think someone who doesn't have insurance and they need your help with that, they're not going to have as big of a problem with this. Cause it's like, I need insurance. I have to fill this out to get insurance. Whereas someone who has insurance, it'll, it'll be like, what am I really getting out of this again? That's exactly right. And it was part of it was, Hey, this is a trust issue. But then even that it was absolutely like, do you really need this? Like what, like what am I getting by getting, giving you this? Mm-hmm. Tell me, and maybe I won't have a problem with it. And the answer is you can't look, you can't show them like their deductible info and stuff like that. Yeah. By, by get submitting this, I'm going to, we're going to be able to verify your, dedu- your coverage details and um, do that on a regular basis every month. So you don't have to worry about it. I wonder if there might be a set of people who don't actually need that. Like, I know that coming in, you thought of that as like the software you're building, but I wonder if there are a lot of people who are just like, I'll make you my agent of record just so oh, that, that the next time I need insurance, I can do that. So- but I don't. Yeah. I need that information to have the information to make them the agent of record. So okay. I need this information to pre-fill the agent of record um, and and verify it before I submit it. Uh, okay, here's an idea. Is there an even lighter weight offering you could do, which is just all I'm going to do is reach out to you because everyone kind of has the same dates for their individual health insurance throughout the year. Could you just be like, all I'm going to do is be a reminder system for you and I'm going to be in your inbox, you know, when open enrollment starts and all that, you don't have to give me any information. And then when the time comes that you want, you know, you're, you're looking for new insurance or you actually do have a question you need help with, that's when you come in and give me that information. Totally. I, I think, um, totally for people who don't want to make me the agent, but if they want, mm-hmm. if I want to earn revenue, uh, right. I, I guess I mean more like if they're dropping off otherwise, I wonder if there's, this is effectively like, I'll put you on a nurturing campaign and you don't have to give me anything but your email. So, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Like, so when I get to the place where they're dropping off, um, on the insurance premium, say, Hey, I don't want to give them an option to opt out say, I don't want to make you the agent. I don't want to give you my insurance information, but I do want this. Mm-hmm. That's what you're thinking. Or, well, or I, I could imagine it a few ways, but if the first thing you ask them is just give me your email address. You can be like, great, your profile with us is set up. The, the Our basic offering you're, you're getting already. You gave us your email address. We're going to send you reminders about insurance things you need to do. Next up is, do you want to add an insurance policy? Oh, that's interesting. It's almost like um, unbundling the core offering into stages of offering based on and, and sort of have the trigger points be since they're not paying for mon- paying money, it's like, in order to get this service, you need to share this information with us and yeah, you make it different yeah, stages. Every company has this problem. Less annoying CRM certainly does. People sign up and I don't know what leads them to like, they were willing to sign up and create an account and then they, they won't do anything once they log in. They don't watch a video. They don't create a contact. I don't know what they possibly could have seen, but I do, I've thought before for myself, something that we should try more of is like, if they 
take that first step, what that kind of means is they're like a MoFu lead. They're like quasi interested, but they're not ready to buy right now. But we have their email address. Can't we do something better with that? Cool. Yeah, I think that it it seems to me like I need to have some sort of offering for for anyone who wants to give me their email address that is one to many, and it does not require a lot of effort for me, but it also doesn't require any more information than email address from the user. Yeah. And if I can figure out that offering, then I put that right in the front of the process. Yeah. Cool, It'd be I interesting like that. to see how that works. Yeah, I like that. Cool. The only other thing I, I want to update um, on this week is related to the um, internship conversation we had last week. So I did have a conversation with the intern I wanted to retain um, and we have agreed on a uh, on a um, paid a continued paid internship running from August to December. Um, it's it's a, a monthly stipend type thing. We we went back. We we looked at. But what I want to share is first of all, this is really exciting and validating because it's a top university student who's taking a gap year, who is has done incredible work work that you wouldn't expect out of most graduate students um, mm-hmm. uh, and really most people who've been working at your company for a couple of years. And so it's a big, big, big win for me and like up health to have this help going into open enrollment and ramping up uh, customer acquisition. So I'm, I'm excited about that. But also I think there's a, there's a learning I had where we had, we went back and forth and I was talking to her about how to, how we could structure this. And I, I took your advice on like how like, let, let, let me t- explain to you the situation it was very transparent about the revenue. Like here's what each client addition means in terms of our budget. Um, we can do this in a couple of different ways. We, I mean, honestly, we can meet your needs on a monthly basis, fixed basis, um, you know, based on the money we have in the bank uh, through December without any worries. Um, but we could also set s- something up where we maybe pay you a little less, but you share in the upside if, you know, based on targets that we set for the company. Mm-hmm. And, I quickly, she was, we, we quickly, I quickly realized that moving to a comp, a, a, a incentive based compensation model would have taken the creative like juice and sort of, uh, security, uh, out of the role and would have reduced productivity. And so, and we both were talking, like, it was very clear that was like a concern right away. I was like, nope, we're just going to do, nope, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> we're just going to do the, the the monthly statement. I'm so glad that that happened because it's, it, when you start messing, and incentive compensation is very dangerous, but it's also very good in certain situations. At an early stage company, when you don't know what you want to, what you want to incentivize one month is di- maybe different than what you want to incentivize the next month as you learn. And this may even change week to week. Incentive compensation is very dangerous. And, uh, especially when you are not paying the person that you're incentivizing sufficient base to where they aren't caring about as much about the incentive. Yeah. So I am really, I thought that like, that was just a reminder of like early stage, like it's so attractive to want to save some money and put some, you know, skin in the game. But in reality, like when you aren't willing to give equity, it's, and, and, and really share in the long-term stuff, it's, it has more, you know. It, it can do a lot more harm than good. Yeah. I have a handful of thoughts here. So first off, what I was thinking when you were talking about that is the 10-year system for professors. Are you familiar with like why that exists? 
like the I rationale behind it? I'm, I'm, I'm assume, I assume it's retention and, and, and trying to give, give talent a reason to stick around. I think that's what it became. And I actually, I don't want to hold that up as a good example because I think the tenure system is totally broken. But I, the reason they give for why it makes sense is traditionally a professor at a university is not an educator. They're a researcher. And basically, the best research is often very risky and likely to fail. And so the tenure system is designed around the idea that prove that you're a good researcher, and then we'll give you a lifetime guarantee that your job is safe, and then you can go take the wildest risks possible, and that's how you win a Nobel Prize or something like that. And I think that's kind of what you're saying here is like, if if someone's worried about their job security, they're not going to take risks. They're just going to do the thing they know is enough to keep their income. Yep. Or get really freaked out when we're not hitting a number. Yeah. Yeah. The other comment here is I think you said like incentive-based compensation is can be a really good thing. I think it depends a lot on who who you're dealing with. There is like kind of a traditional hyper-competitive alpha male sales guy type of persona where it works well. There are a lot of people in the world where A, that, that stresses them out and they'll perform worse. And B, they're just intrinsically motivated and they don't need that at all. And like that's who we're hiring at Less Annoying. I don't know, Lena, but maybe it never would make sense for her i'm not sure well i think i think the challenge is as a as a startup when you want to attract really high talent and i think in this situation it worked out where i could have the business could afford to, mm-hmm. you know could afford the the to, to make it work but like when that situation where you really want someone but you can't afford to make it work and so you have to sort of create this situation in which you know you have skin in the game and it's like do you is it better to walk away from that person in that situation, or is it better to, you know, take the bite? And I'm, I'm not sure on that. I hear you. Okay. So I guess in my head, I was combining two things that are different. So there's like pay someone what they're worth, give them job security and let them run free. A second thing is what you're saying, which is you can't afford to pay them what they're worth. So you have to compensate them with upside. What I was thinking more of is a third thing, which is like a boiler room type of situation where it's like, you could afford to pay them, but you use the incentive as a way to motivate them so they they have to earn it and that way the highest performers make more and the lowest performers make less you're not talking about that thing you're talking about the yeah Yeah. and i would say that the boilerplate thing is um probably never anything i'm going to be interested in but what i am i do think there's something interesting to say like hey like if you want upside you have to take risk right like i think that that's how the world works right you generally don't get to have your cake and eat it too you got to you know, if, if you want to, to to share in the potential upside, you've got to you know be willing to stay longer. You've got to be willing to uh, pay take less base, or you've got to be willing to do something. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the day, when company A gives an offer to an employee and company B gives an offer and they're picking, the ex- you can boil it down to what's the expected value of this offer. And if you're giving a high base and a lot of upside, the expected value is a lot higher. And like maybe some companies will just overpay employees, but for the most part, you expect the company to be rational and only pay what they need to. So it's either going to come in the form of guaranteed salary or upside, but probably not both. Yep, totally. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't know what I what I I don't think I I w- if I couldn't have afforded what. Need what I needed to pay. I wonder if it would have been a better decision to say, "Hey, this isn't a fit." Then, yeah, a situ- you know a situation in which you're you're incentivizing in a situation where it's not meeting needs. Yeah, I think probably yes. 
Yeah, probably. I think so too. I also think with an intern, it's hard. It's there's such a power imbalance. Like I brought some people on early, early in the days of Lessening Serum that were underpaid but had upside, but they were like adults with experience, and I, I didn't. There was less concern that am I kind of taking advantage of this person and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um. Yeah, and I guess the only other update I had, and I'm I'm sorry I'm dominating here, but can we we talked last week about uh, maybe thinking about the coding fellowship you do at Less Link CRM mm-hmm. uh, as a no code uh, version. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm really excited about about that. I think we're going to talk about it in the future. But do you mind sending me sort of or having someone whoever remind me of the person who manages it, Malia. Malia, would you mind having Malia just send me the details? Um, of how it, how you have it structured, what what is success, what's not success, mm-hmm. and like a basic curriculum. I'd love to do some work, work on that prior to us talking um, about it live. Yep. Yeah, I'll have her do that. Cool. Um, yeah, sounds good. And yeah, so I think in about a month she'll be on. Uh, we'll we'll invite her on as a guest here and and talk through that. That'd be great. And speaking of coding, um, have you made a practice decision? Yes. So yeah, I've kind of for months really been talking about, we've been circling around and trying to decide what to do. This is obviously subject to change, but uh, we finally kind of decided that the main things we were deciding between basically what we wanted to do is say, what's our five-year vision for the product? And then work backwards from there to say, what should our next six months look like so that we could plan our most immediate things? What we decided to do is take a less ambitious five-year vision it's still going to be more ambitious than what we've done in the past. Um, it's going to be, I, ref- I used last week the term playing offense versus defense. Playing defense, I think, is trying to catch up with our comp- competition in the CRM space. Like what features do they have that our customers want and what are features we have that kind of suck? That's defense. Offense is like, let's go build something that other people aren't even building. So one option was this really ambitious big picture, like email client slash chat app slash task list slash project management app. We decided to go more conservative. What was We're that called? Sparse? Four, well, Sparse was the product I started a while ago that was that. We're calling it 4.0. I don't know. That's just an internal term. But we've had this idea for years. We've always called it 4.0. We still want to build it. But we basically decided we're still not big enough to really devote the resources we need to get this right. The, the fundamental thing here is if you build a tool that people are going to use for ch- for internal chat, it's going to have to be better than Slack. Like people are going to compare it head to head. If it doesn't have a native mobile app, if it doesn't, uh, you know, have good push notifications and all these features and integrations and all this, people aren't going to use it. What we're thinking is what probably makes sense is if we want to build that, we can take it on, not head on. And instead the analogy I would make is like Trello comments. Mm -hmm. So Trello comments suck. I think their notification system's not very good. But sometimes, because it's context-specific and you're using Trello anyway, you're like, it would be better to leave a comment here and send it to the person, even though the, the communication medium is not as good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we're kind of thinking, rather than going at this 4.0 idea head-on, let's build some things that people could communicate about and where they would accept a worse communication experience. And then we can iterate from there and eventually be a Slack alternative, but not like start out trying to build it from day one. Cool. Um, so that's going to be appointment scheduling, which I've talked a lot about. And then like this notebooks feature, which is kind of like a 
very, very lightweight version of like Dropbox's online, like a kind of file storage note taking web app. These are things that would be nice enhancements of what we already have, much, much easier to build. And then we can slowly start building collaboration tools into them rather than doing the whole thing whole hog all at once. So that's that's where we're going, probably. That sounds really cool. Is, I, have, uh, have you shared that with the team yet? Uh, I've shared... So I'm doing these weekly newsletters where I kind of give updates on what are the things we're discussing, which has, by the way, just been great for us because I'm not like surprising them with big news anymore. They always know what's coming. So what they know is that we're, we were deciding between these two things and we were leaning towards the simpler uh, approach. Cool. Yeah, I just started thinking about um, yelling, lay down Jolo. Um, <laughs> Can you still hear I, it? <laughs> no, but I was just like thinking about it. And maybe I thought about yelling it right there. <laughs> he, he wouldn't hear it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Yeah, that's so progress. I feel good about it. I mean, the, the big thing, pr- probably our next six months would look about the same either way, but what I'm really excited about is we don't have to keep having two hours of discussion every week about what our plan's going to be. And now we can just say, we're doing this thing. We may change it six months from now, but for now we're doing it. And I'm going to get to actually start. Sorry. <laughs> I'm having a whole mess here. Can you hear me? Yeah, <laughs> I lost you. Ugh, my, I'm on my phone today. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better next week. Sorry, listener. I'm, I'm having a technical nightmare this week. Uh, this coming week, for the first time ever, we're going to get to actually start designing stuff. This whole time, we've just been like, what do we want to build? And now I finally get to be like, let's design what we're going to build, which I'm so excited for. It's kind of interesting. We have a podcast about bootstrapping startups. I think there's another guy with a podcast about bootstrapping startups who's also building appointment scheduling. So we are com- complementary slash competing podcasts uh, with and both content and product. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Derek Reimer from Art of Product. Yeah. I, I think we have absolutely no overlap between like customers. So we're not really... I, I think I'm not competing with him, but they are going to be similar products probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he doesn't, he doesn't know who I am, but I hope he doesn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he won't. Um, well, what, uh, what other, what do you want to cover for the rest of the episode? Let me just, since we kind of took up a lot of time with updates here, um, let me just give a little rant about related product here. I just hate working with dates. Every programmer feels this way. If you can build a product that doesn't involve dates, so we're talking about appointment scheduling here, don't do it. Don't get into date-related stuff. Right before we had this, we started recording this, I was working on designing saved filters. So people can go into Less Annoying CRM and filter. They can be like, show me every contact that was entered within the last year that I haven't updated in the last month that lives in the state of Arkansas or whatever. Um, we, we've always had these filters, but we're adding the ability to kind of save them so that you can pull them up quickly in the future rather than rebuilding them every time. And everything about this is an easy project except for dates. Because if you say, show me everyone that got added in the last month, if you pull that report up a month from now, you don't want it to say, like, you're not looking at July anymore. You want it to look at August. Trying to make a user interface where the user can tell us what they want to have happen when they pull this up a month from now has been a nightmare. So A, I just wanted to complain 
and have someone hear that. And B, I'm curious, have you used any tools that do this well? Date picking? Well, do you, do you kind of get the problem I'm talking about where if you filter a current report and you hit like save, how does the user describe when you load this two weeks from now, what should happen to the dates that were a part of that? Uh, Salesforce did a good job of this. Um, we So we used to, I used reports heavily in Salesforce to manage the company. And you can have it... Uh, uh, they do. They had like drop downs that said last two weeks, last four weeks. Um, so you would set a date. A, you would set the report framework frame time on a fixed like description, like last four weeks, and then it would update based on the. It would be always be the last four weeks every time you look at it. And so they. It sounds like they just gave a few options, like this month, last month, last two weeks, last four weeks. And those were enough. Cause I, what I'm Quick, worried QuickBooks, about is QuickBooks does the same, this the same way. It's like they do. last, last, last month, last quarter, last year. I mean, I mean, there aren't that many time frames in which you would want to look at it. Like it's usually like month, week, uh, you know, last seven days, last 14 days. So I think yeah. it was probably like eight or nine options. Okay. I'm probably overthinking this then. Cause I'm doing all kinds of things like the the first Monday of the month and like, you know, the first of the current year, the first of the last year. So what I'm doing right now is you set your filters in whatever way you want. And then you can, when you save it, you we can say, you said January 1st, 2020. Did you mean the first of this January? Or did you mean the first of seven months ago? Or did you mean the first Monday of the year? Like which one of these things did you mean? Yeah, I would check. I would, I think your users are probably also using like a QuickBooks or accounting project a software. I bet if you looked at those tools for inspiration, you might get something that, because you probably don't want to be too different than what they're used to. But, um, you know, if you're, if you can improve upon it, great. But, but yeah. th- that'd be a good place to look. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. Thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not a coder by trade, but, in building leg up health, there's dates involved. There's birth dates, there's, you know, start dates, effective dates, um, special enrollment dates, life event dates, and man, just collecting the information and formatting it in a way that, you know, you can talk, have two systems talk to each other and, and interpret it the same way. What a pain. Yeah. Well, and then you introduce times in it and you've got time zones, you've got daylight savings. Ugh, it's the worst. Yeah. I guess I didn't, I haven't gotten to the point where it's like, um, this person, uh, it was, it was Tuesday, you know, the, the 15th, uh, you know, where they were, but mm-hmm. where the insurance company was, it wasn't. And what does that mean? That's interesting. Hopefully no one, none of my clients are waiting to that well, crunch time. S- something I loved about working at Zane Benefits and you're probably always going to have health insurance. It's a bad thing and a good thing that you can only really serve the American market. But the good news for this is you've only got four time zones to serve. Yeah, what is and, the point of the Arizona situation? Can you well, help I meant, me understand? I meant Hawaii, not Arizona. Oh, okay, but. all right. Well, then there's five because Arizona is on like mountain time. Like they just don't honor daylight savings time. That's yeah, what Arizona is doing. Yeah. Which I wish every state would do. Daylight savings sucks. But you can just run. You could just take your site down at you know the, in the middle of the night every single night for an hour, and it wouldn't matter. I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> yep. Anyway, um, that's my rant. I hate dates. I hate times. I hate daylight savings. I hate time zones. Uh, uh, does it feel, you feel better? Yes, thank you. You bet. What do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to rant on uh, housing in Utah because I think it's ridiculous, um, but I'm going to save that for another date. 
I had enough negativity for one yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I feel better just talking to you in general. So I guess, uh, um, one, one thing that's been on here a while that I haven't gotten to is related to, I, so with early customers, I, I, I had a, I did my MVP through a Slack community. So I didn't build any software. I didn't even have a website. I just invited people to a Slack community and said, Hey, direct message me. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. That yeah. was my MVP was a Slack community with direct messages. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'll be your agent, you know, and you know, just message me whenever you want anything. And then we'll jump on a call if you need to. Uh, so I've got this community that has interns in it. There's six interns in it there. Uh, it's got, um, I don't know, eight or nine of my early clients in it. And it's really nice because I can log in there and if they're green, you know, they're available. I can check, I can quickly pop a message to get some feedback, but I kind of feel like it's this thing that's not, I don't really feel comfortable inviting other people into it. And, you know, it's, it's just this kind of this weird thing that's stagnated, especially since I was, I was going to plan on doing like local meetups, um, and have people over for wine or, you know, or, uh, or golf or something like that. But, but because we can't do that with any COVID, it's, it's almost serving no purpose. So I do want to have a community as part of that movement I talked about earlier, where people can be a part of something bigger if they want to be more than just a client and meet people and, and affect change. But I don't, I'm not sure Slack's the best place to do it. It doesn't feel right to me. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure whether to keep it around, uh, or do something different. Yeah. Well, like what's the, like, I've often wanted a community and one of the problems I've run into is like, what's the value I'm providing to customers? Um, what's, what's the value? Like, forget what you want for a second. What does the customer get out of any of this? At first it was like constant, like real time access to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also when I had, when I was inviting all the new clients, it was a way for, people to meet new people in Utah because I was bringing my, my initial clients were pretty interesting people. Mm-hmm. Like what one guy is a former Romney campaign guy. One, one's a, you know, startup and, you know, VC ones, you know, one does private equity deals another another person's a startup founder. So it's, it was kind of like a community thing. Um, I also posted updates in there, but there really isn't anything going on in there that, other than maybe real time access to each other and me that would be taken away. Cause yeah, like the thing about that is it's, it's a community that's your product is health insurance, but the community is not based on health insurance. So at this point I almost based on that description, it almost sounds like a separate project to just be like, I also want a community of interesting people that can talk about whatever. I definitely don't want that. I would say that my, my thought initially was that this would be a place for people to come like, to, to get excited about the problem that Lego Health is solving and help, you know, help it devolve, but it hasn't happened that way. Um, it doesn't feel like the right place to do. It doesn't feel like that's going to happen in the Slack community. Yeah, I agree. So I guess the question is, do you just let it fade away, which I'm, I'm in like 20, whenever I log into my Slack, like which account do you want to log into? There's like 20 of them and only two are active. I think it's fine to just let it fade. Or do you try to move it to a different medium that's more appropriate? Well, one thing I was thinking was, I, I, I think I think I'm not ready to try to put too much effort into building community right now. So 
any looking at other platforms, like that just, I don't think I have any interest in that. So what I, what I thought, here's my idea. What I thought was maybe like right now it's an open Slack channel, but what if I just made it a close, a closed Slack, a, an open Slack instance, but maybe a close a Slack instance and just make one channel channel available for maybe client and, you know, just ambassadors or, um, the customer advocacy board or something like something like that, create a group of like customers who have access to me and the rest of the team to say in, in each other to share problems or interest ideas or anything and just make it optional to join the Slack community for everyone um, and uh, see where that goes. And maybe it dies, fades away and may, or maybe it turned into something. Yeah. We've thought about this a lot at Lesson Wing CRM too. Like we've got a lot of people who they're all small business owners and stuff like this. And what we've always decided is if we aren't going to put the effort in to really make this work, it's going to be bad or it's not going to last or something like that. And that we're not willing to put that effort in right now. Maybe you're in a different situation than me, but that would be my default reaction to this is like, I think you've got better things to do with your time. It's not clear why your customers should be in a community. Like it's not clear what, what the purpose of this is aside from, I guess that it's good for you, but yeah, I, th- I think that's true now, but I, I do think I could convert it to, Hey, have a, you know, be a part of the leg up health future, be the voice of our represent, you know, be the, be the representative of our customer base and, and affect our product strategy, affect our service, affect our policy, you know, our policy initiatives. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like oversimplifying, but basically give us feedback. Yeah. But but not just feedback, but be a part of even possibly the, you know, the benefits of giving us feedback, like, you know, whether that's an event in the future once coronavirus goes away or a policymaking initiative or... That to know, me feels more like a hub and spoke model, though. It's like you have a relationship with each of them. It doesn't sound like they need a relationship with each other. Like we have a lot of interaction with our customers, getting feedback. We have kind of a, bu- a handful of different lists. Like if we need this, we're going to reach out to these people. But do they all need to be in a Slack group together for us to have that relationship with them? Yeah, it really doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I'm, I think what I need to do now is I need to just ping the people on Slack and say, listen, if I took Slack away, I'm, would you be upset? Yeah. Or you could just say, like, I'll still be here, but like, if you want to message me, DM me in Slack rather than email me, I guess do it, but it's going to be the same thing. Like, it's not a, like, we don't expect the channels to be very active, you know? Yeah. But like, just that question I asked might lead to something that I don't realize it's happening. Maybe these people are talking. Can I, is there a report in Slack I can see of whether people talk? If you're the owner, yeah, I think so. You can at the very least see like how many messages people are sending and stuff like that. I may have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe they're getting value out of it, but I I just come from this from the place. Everybody these days wants a community. I actually posted in my own Slack group, uh, in, in le- the Less Annoying CRM Slack, a couple links this week to people complaining on Twitter about too many communities. Something along the lines of like, as soon as like tech dudes found out about communities, communities died. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I do think people are kind of getting overload and everybody wants a community, but it's like, if there's a good reason to to pull people together, then great. But I, yeah, I don't know. I think you need that good reason. 
Yeah, no. I, I think I haven't quite cracked that code yet, and I don't necessarily think now's the time to try to crack it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think my next step, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email them and see what they say. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if maybe next week I just shut the whole thing down. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, there's nothing stopping you from doing it in the future. I often, if we wanted to right now, we've got 23,000 users. It would be a lot easier to start a community now than it would have been five years ago for us. Totally. Cool. All right. But yeah, I, at the same time, it's the dream. If you get people who are like logging in every day just to, to basically provide free customer service to, for, to you, to create a network effect that you didn't have to create for yourself. If you can do it, amazing. I'm just skeptical that most tech, tech companies can really do it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think that ultimately it's, I need to just watch my customer base and see if my hypothesis holds. And the hypothesis is that some percentage of our clients are going to be uber passionate about the problem that we're solving. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, that this will come about naturally versus being forced. And I'll, I'll, I'll seize that opportunity as it comes versus, you know, faking it until I make it. Yeah. Yeah. If you had five or 10 people that you knew wanted to do this, that you could seed it with, that'd be a great, a great way to start it. Yep. Cool. Uh, anything else on your mind? I've got nothing else. Uh, do you have anything else? I have stuff that can uh, wait for later. So this seems like a nice stopping point. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in uh, this coding fellowship stuff that we're going to talk about on the yeah. no code. I've thought a lot about it and I'm realizing how much I've learned and haven't really documented. Um, and I really do think like it's something I would use internally mm-hmm. and something you would use. And I do think it's a more efficient way to learn how to code. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, let me tease a topic that we didn't get to today, but before we're going to have our conversation with Malia about how, what the coding fellowship should look like. Before that, what I'd like to do, um, Shreyas, who I think you've talked to, he, he did the design for me. He's a listener of the, the podcast, so shout out. He asked, he, he has some friends who are thinking about learning no code and trying to get a job. And one thing I want to discuss with you is what would a career as a no coder look like? So we mm. don't need to get into that right now, but just something to think about, because I think it's kind of on the cutting edge right now. There probably aren't a lot of jobs. So do you get a different job, but be better at it because you know no code? Or do you convince companies that they should have a no code expert? I don't know. That's something I'd like to discuss. I can't wait to talk about that. Um, One thing I will say is they are all around us. They're just different names. A Salesforce administrator is a no code professional. That's Um, true. So that'll be a very interesting kind. Like, I think think this is, I'm really excited about where this can go. And I think there's a real big hole, education hole in the market right now coming from like not just teaching no code as a fad, but teaching it as a um, way to shortcut, you know, especially for entrepreneurs, like a way to, to, to test products and then learn. If you want to learn how to code as, code as an adult, this is where you start. Right. Yeah. Bridges the gap of before you said, I'm, I'm a non-technical co-founder. I can either become technical or I can be at the whims of my technical co-founder. And now I think this is a way to say exactly what you're doing. You'll hire. I'm sure you'll you'll hire a CTO at some point. Oh yeah, you you'll have so much more leverage by the time you get there and like validation and everything. So, yeah, this is going to turn into a no code podcast if we're not careful. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, and or an intern podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's if all you, we talk about. Yeah, if you have questions um, or topics though, like listeners, and you want to uh, reach out to us on Twitter about them, we'd love to hear from you. If it's a fit, we can bring the context. Um, we will ask for context, but we can bring the context and the situation, the podcast and discuss it. 
it's always interesting to hear about the big problems that other people are dealing with, um, because oftentimes we're all dealing with the same thing. So don't hesitate to reach out. And with that, um, I'll go ahead and do the outro. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you'd like this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See you.